You're listening to WHUPLP Hillsboro. My name is Gilbert Neal, and this is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. How are you? I hope you're well. All that. Today's show is going to be mostly prog, which means progressive music, which means stuff from primarily England and primarily from the 70s. I've done prog shows before, but I missed a whole bunch of prog that I like and I wanted you to hear. Uh, so I'm going to play you some prog and I'm going to prog you good. Yeah, I'm going to prog you like you know I ought. And I start with one of my favorite prog albums, one that gets overlooked, but one that I love anyway.
thought there was something funny going on. This is WHUPLP. This is uh, Gilbert Neal and D-Sides Orphans and Oddities. Things like that can throw me a little bit. So tonight we're playing Prague. Progressive music basically is a rock and roll equivalent of classical music, and it follows the same sort of movements and um, the same excellent musicians, but there's some things about Prague you get tired of really quickly if you're, you know, a sentient adult. But when you're a kid, these odd time signatures and things like that, just they were the bee's knees. So we started that set with Age of Information off of uh, the Gradually Going Tornado album by Bill Bruford, who was the drummer for Yes and King Crimson. And I got his biography and he is a very, very intelligent man, knows what he wants, knows what he doesn't want. And what he doesn't want is to stagnate. So he released these three albums in a live album with this group of players, with Jeff Berlin and Alan Holdsworth. I don't think Alan Holdsworth is on this one. I think it was uh, the unknown John Clark. And... Uh, I love this album because Jeff Berlin sings and most of these virtuosic prog players don't play or don't sing. They play and they leave it to some person to sing. But Jeff Berlin has a great, great voice. I think it's a really, it's a sort of ironic voice, I think, when I hear it. And I'll be playing more from this album later on. After that, the Jan Hammer group. Jan Hammer, you know, of course, as uh, my godfather. No, I'm kidding. He is. He was in um, Mahavishnu Orchestra with our friend John McLaughlin. Do I have that right? Am I right? Is that right? I'm a little shaken up by what just happened. I'm sorry. I'm having some problems. Played with Jeff Beck and Stanley Clark. Um, did not play with Mahavishnu Orchestra. Yes, he played with Mahavishnu Orchestra. What's wrong with me? Why am I? See, the thing that's throwing me off is I'm recording this for Reddit, and so I'm not as eloquent as I normally am. It's throwing me off. And I'm sure that the two people watching will say, please stop, please stop. After that, can the German progressive group with I Want More, which was a single in 1976. This was long past their, not long past, but in progress years, long past their, their peak, which was around 71, 72. But I like it. And after that, you heard Renaissance, from their from their last album Timeline. And as I was saying to the one person listening watching me on um on Reddit, which I'm gonna stop after I say this, I'm gonna stop it now. I'll see you guys later. No, wait. All right. Which I was I was saying to my friend on Reddit that Annie Haslam was not the first singer of Renaissance. The first female singer was uh, Jane Ralph, who was Keith Ralph's wife, 
who was in the Yardbirds, who had hits like For Your Love and um, a couple of others. Uh, I don't. I, I did have a show where I, I played a lot of Yardbirds, but I'm not a big fan. I guess I don't have a yard Yardburns uh, Yardbirds affection affinity like I do with like Buffalo Springfield is another group I don't play a lot of because I just don't get it. Uh, or Velvet Underground, I just don't get it. I want to get it. I've indulged. I, I just don't get it. I've listened to I listened to Great The Grateful Dead for like a year to try to understand, and after a year. I did understand. I do. I understand. I'm not that person, but I do understand. I understand the appeal of the Grateful Dead. But uh, these groups, I just don't. I just don't get. But if you ever get a chance, and you're taking a walk or something, and you want some inoffensive music to listen to, try uh, "Timeline" by Renaissance. It's not a bad record. It's not. It's not really them or what they're known for. But it occurred to me as I was listening to it that. Groups like that used to have access to something that bands today just never use, and that's an orchestra. Bands back then, how, how could they afford an orchestra? How could Renaissance afford an orchestra? I, I just don't, I mean, I understand the Moody Blues in their first album because that was sort of an experiment. They were an afterthought, more or less. It just took off like crazy. But, but how did Renaissance afford a live orchestra? For their recordings and then record a live album with an orchestra behind them not uh the uh, carnegie hall one which was okay but i just don't get it how could they afford all those how could they afford that you know we've heard strings and other other prog things but by this time renaissance was using the old arp strings on the old keyboard and keyboard started to take over everybody's sound and it just wasn't the same. Not that I was spoiled or anything, but anyway. So this is Gilbert Neal. This is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. And this is a show where I'm going to play nothing but maybe one or two tracks. Because I, I was really interested after last week. I was I was playing a lot of uh, um, Joe Simon. And one of his tracks you will recognize. And I'll, I'll play it for you after this cut. After this cut, man, uh, after this song, I'll play uh, that song because you will recognize the melody um, immediately, but I don't think anybody knows where the sample comes from on a casual basis. So I mentioned the Rolling Stone record guide. If you look at the Rolling Stone record guide from a certain year, I forget which one it was, they give this album like two stars and they talk about how ungodly pretentious it is and how awful. And it was just a, a mishmash of riff after riff. And it, and in time, I found that I actually kind of like it. Uh, a long, long time ago, I did my favorite sidelong cuts. This was not one of them, but... This is what I'm talking about as far as uh, the the connection between prog, progressive music and and orchestral music, 
in that these were little symphonies that they tried to cobble together from their jams through the marijuana smoke. And sometimes it worked, and sometimes it did not. But I like this. Um...
It's hard to believe, but Yes never had a number one album. The best they did was Close to the Edge, which was the album before this, and it went to number three. Before that, Fragile went to number four. This went to number six. Can you believe it? That's why... The early 70s were considered the commercial height of Prague because shortly before and then shortly after, you could not, you couldn't buy a top 10 hit unless you, for, for a Prague group, unless you severely sold out, which, yes, would do. With 90125, which came out in 83, had the song. Owner of a Lonely Heart, which could have been just any group, could have been the Buggles, could have been the Go-Go's, could have been uh, Aztec Camera, could have been Bill Haley, <laughs> could have been anyone. And that song would have been a top 10 hit. As it happens, John Anderson applied his schmear to it and it ended up in the top, top uh, I don't know, if the album ended up in uh, number five. In England, this album went to number one. How do you like that? Anyway, that was Yes with the first cut of four off of the double album Tales from Topographic Oceans. That was a good blend. I'm telling you, that must have been some primo stuff because they had it together. In sections of that song, they were as transcendent and as together and as wonderful and as original as they ever were. I don't care what anyone says. After that, the side two, three, and four, I don't think ever attained that lofty goal in spaces it did, in places it did. But that side one, oh boy, that was something. Oh, God, I can remember just laying on my bedroom floor, my headphones on, just putting that album on and just listening. You know, I didn't I didn't smoke marijuana. I didn't do any drugs. I didn't drink. I didn't do any of that stuff. It was the music that I loved. And I loved Prague. It defined almost everything about me for a long, long time. I wish I was in a I was in a Prague band in 1983 and we did one gig, and it was the best gig because the kids who were in the band with me were all rich West Seneca kids, and they all had friends, which I didn't, and they all had cars, which I didn't, and they all had money, which I didn't, but the one thing I had was that I could play Roundabout and sing it at the same time. <clears throat> that made me a superstar. 
And even a poor kid like me can succeed. Even if you mix plaids and stripes, you can still go far if you can play bass and sing at the same time. So, you remember Owner of the Lonely Heart, don't you? That was Yes's big hit. Well, that wasn't really Yes. That was more Trevor Horn and or Trevor Horn and Trevor Rabin. There were two Trevors. Wow. Just taking Yes and smushing it together. It was like an uh, amalgam of a group that was going to form with Jimmy Page and there was a group of other guys and then this South African pretty boy Trevor Rabin came along with his crazy guitar scales and stuff. We've played Trevor Rabin before on our show when he was in South Africa, but that wasn't yes. Anything that came after that wasn't yes. All it was and all it is, yes is still together. Steve Howe, the guitar player who's playing all those he's still around. He's in a version of yes with Alan White, the drummer, I don't know if Alan White plays the live shows. Maybe Dave knows this. I don't know. But um, but this was when Yes was really, really something. And what can I say? Uh, I like it. So this is Gilbert Neal, D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. Good golly, Miss Molly. Who did the first Prague album? Trying to think. <laughs>
guys were gonna kill me for sure. Ganged up on me like that? Couldn't believe it. I mean, look, I'm still shaking. It's weird. Go out in the streets like this, you can't. Dangerous place. <laughs> it's a dangerous place. So suddenly, these two guys appear in front of me and stop real aggressive. Start at me now. What, what's that? What's that on that tape? You know, what do you got there? I said, hey, what are you talking about? You know? I said, oh, it's just a tape, you know? They said, well, play it for me. I said, oh, no. Turned <laughs> off as long as I could. Finally, they turned it on, you know? They, they grabbed it from me, took it away from me. Turned it on and it says he held a gun in his hand. <laughs> this is a dangerous place. It's a what dangerous place? What gun? You're a policeman. The deeper I talked, the worse I got into it. I talked, I told him, I said, look, I'm not talking. It went on forever. Anyway, I finally unbuttoned my shirt and said, look, look, I'm in this band here, you know. I'm in this band, you know. And we're making a recording, you know. And it's just about New York City, it's about crime in the streets. The explanation was going nowhere, but finally they, they just kind of let me go. I don't know why. So I walk around the corner. I'm like shaking like a leaf now, and I thought, this is a dangerous place once again. You know? <sighs> Who should appear but two policemen? <laughs> King Crimson, I guess, for all intents and purposes, released the first, quote, progressive album in 1969. Others may make that claim, but it's generally accepted that when you put the needle on the disc and 21st century schizoid man burst out of your speakers, it was something you did not expect. And it was something just you didn't understand, but it was really good. 
this is better. The Discipline album that King Crimson released in 1980 was better than that. It was more consistent. It was more focused and disciplined and weird. And, and you know, last week we did a show about David Bowie, didn't we? We did a show about David Bowie and the fact that he had these three guys, uh, Reeves Gabrels, and um, all four, Earl Slick on Station to Station, to Station and uh, Robert Fripp. But you had this guy going, woo, woo, and making elephant noises and stuff. And it all seemed to fit in because underneath it all, there was this sheen of like David Bowie's professionalism and his his standards and the way he produced albums and stuff. But this guy, Adrian Ballou, was in demand after that. And he played with Frank Zappa, and he played with David Bowie, of course, as you know. And he played with Talking Heads. But he made he made his name with King Crimson. And this was the first album he played on with King Crimson. And it was after a five-year hiatus. This is W-H-U-P-L-P Hillsboro. This is Gilbert Neal, and this is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. He made his name with stuff before that and doing the um, doing vocals on uh, Flakes on, uh, I think it was Tinseltown Rebellion. And um, he sang City of Tiny Lights pretty, pretty well. I think that was the best version, the one that he sang. But he really became kind of a prog hero when he did these first three albums with King Crimson. There was this one, which is Discipline, which is just an amazing record. Oh, and when I heard it, I had just just started getting into King Crimson and I had bought In the Wake of Poseidon, which I thought was okay. It was sort of a copy of the first album, 1970. And Islands, which I didn't like at all, and some of the good stuff that Gary Storm had introduced us all to, uh, Lark's Tongues and Aspic, which was you know great. But there were some, there were some, there were some sagging points in that. And but this album was good all the way through. So you remember when I told you that if you're looking for an album to listen to on a walk, this is not it. This is an album that that demands that you listen to it because from the beginning to the end it's just it's violent is what it is but it's great anyway that was king crimson with taylor hunjinjit and um i'm playing prog songs and you know i forgot a group that was sort of seen as um oh and by the way robert fripp that was robert fripp's baby king crimson he played with David Bowie, but King Crimson was his thing. And then he got it back together in 1980. And it's still together. It's more a cover band that does improvisation than a real songwriting concern, which until Adrian Ballou joined the band was really, they were never really known for their songwriting. There were some good songs. Greg Lake was in the group from Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Uh, Mel Collins. Uh, what's the guy's name? 
I can't remember his name. Who was it? Um, I, I'm going to look this up. Hang on a second. Because this surprised me. When this, when, when, um, um, let me think, let me think. I might have the wrong guy. I'm sorry. Um, um, yeah, I got the wrong guy. I got the wrong guy. Anyway. Uh, on with our Prague show, and maybe I'll have an answer for that in a little bit. Shouting, he can't hear for the noise. 
plays with fire, broken glass, twisted tin, broken toys. You're telling him this. You're telling him that. You'll never predict the way that he might react. He's lost in a maze of difficult days. He's thinking too I was thinking about Ian McDonald. He was in King Crimson, then he was in Foreigner. So that's what happens when you need a buck, I guess. No, he didn't need a buck.
On one of my shows a while ago, I played the song Awaken by Yes, and I made the remark that that was probably, after all the records that they had released to that point, that was probably the peak. That was the beginning of the end, but it was also the end of the beginning, and it was probably the the, the best. If I was to point people to Yes, to one song, to say, this is Yes, I would I would point them to Awaken. 
And with Genesis, even though they had Peter Gabriel in the group and and, uh, all the stuff that happened before then and the touring and the touring and the records, I would say that one for the vine, which is what you just heard, is probably as good a summation of Genesis as you're ever going to hear. And it was also the beginning of the end because after that, uh, they released a couple of, they released an EP called Spot the Pigeon. And then Steve Hackett started to gripe about the fact that the band wasn't writing songs anymore. Now it was just, you know, everybody on his own and he quit. And then they released, and then there were three. And that was the album with, oh gosh, wasn't Follow You, Follow Me. It was, what was it? Cause I don't, I don't really listen to that album too much. Uh, Cause to me it's not Genesis. Genesis is still around. They're touring, and I know a very excited young boy from Detroit who's going to see them later in November. Oh, but uh, unfortunately for all of us, that great, magnificent prog voice of Phil Collins, um, he got, he's getting on. He's, he's not, not well as uh, he was before when he was slapping that tambourine and playing those drum parts and uh, sort of determining the future of Genesis, sort of taking the wheel. And Tony Banks and Mike Rutherford, uh, keyboardist and guitar player, respectively, bass said, okay, go ahead. And we know what happened then. They came out with, uh, it's no fun being an illegal alien. This is Gilbert Neal, D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities on WHUP. Oh, what fun we're having, playing those prog favorites of mine. You can hear my past shows at uh, dsides.podbean.com. I am stunned, stunned, I tell you, to know that 10,000 people have downloaded my show. Now, in the big picture of rock and roll and people dancing and doing TikTok dances and all that stuff. It's not much. 10,000 is not much. But to me, who boy, it's a lot. And I wanted to thank each and every one of you for downloading the show 500,000 times, five or 5,000 times, both of you, to, uh, to do that. So anyway, you know, every prog group came to the point of realization. Before, by, by the way, before that, I played Gentle Giant, a song called Interview, which that album was also released in 1976. It was very dissonant, as I recall. Some of, There were some good uh, poppy parts. Interview is a pretty good song. I played another show. The whole, song, the whole album is a concept about interviewers asking the same questions over and over and over again, and the band telling the story over and over and over again. And then the next album they came out with was called The Missing Piece. And it was pretty poppy. And and you could see how it was going to go. And then they came out with Giant for a Day. That album had an actual mask in it that you could, it was like serrated. So you could, you could take it out and then put the mask on and be Gentle Giant's mascot, the giant, for a day. Which is how long the mask usually would last. I don't think, I wonder if I went for that for Halloween one year. I don't know. But, so Gentle Giant, the same thing happened. They 
tried and tried and tried. And they read the writing on the wall and they became poppier and poppier. And then they stopped in 1980. Uh, Genesis, even though they, they sort of kept, pre- kept, what is the word? Um, they kept appearances, kept up appearances of being a prog act. Basically, they were just a pop act from then on. They stopped wanting to tell stories and they started wanting to t- tell you about you know, driving to your house uh, late at night, there must be some misunderstanding, which is a far cry from the fountains of Selman- Fountain of Selmansis and um, as sure as eggs is eggs, aching man's feet. Hey, speaking of Prague, speaking of bands, speaking of apexes, I think that Genesis, their album Wind and Wuthering, combined with the one Trick of the Tail, was pretty much the peak of their powers. Gentle Giant, it was um, Freehand, probably, the the most even album uh, of their canon, and then they descended. Uh, Renaissance, their live album, I think, was was their apex, the, the, um, the one they did at Carnegie Hall. Asia doesn't count. Asia is not a prog band, even though when we heard about it, we we while all of us progsters were thinking, oh man, all the the four gods of Prague, John Wetton, um, Carl Palmer, Carl Palmer, uh, Steve Howe, and Jeff Downs are gonna get together and write these songs, and they're all gonna be proggy, and they're all gonna be great, and Prague is back, and it it, it didn't turn out that way, even though. That album went to number one. I wonder how they felt when that happened. Probably rich, wealthy. Um, but I wanted to, to say that because there was another prog band who uh, a little later on in the decade, around 1980, reached their peak. And their artistic peak coincided with the, the beginning of their ascent commercially, which is just the story all the time. And uh, I wanted to play what I considered their best song.
Yeah, that UK album was what we thought Asia was going to be. Uh, UK, Asia. John Wetton was in both. John Wetton was the bass player in Prague, basically. And uh, Bill Bruford, who I played some of his uh, very good solo stuff, was the drummer for UK and played in the one, one, on the one record. And uh, I guess Eddie Jobson, and, uh, who is the violin player and keyboard player, and Alan Holdsworth was the guitar player. And if you've ever searched for Alan Holdsworth performances online with with the various bands he's been in none for too long but that's virtuosity I, i'd love um i love uh, presto vivaci because first eddie jobson plays it the theme uh da, 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 da. here it is this is just eddie jobson it's on 5-8. Now here's Alan Holdsworth doing the same thing. You'll never see an Alan Holdsworth video and not go how anyway you get the idea so that's uk uk did three albums uh the one after this was danger money and bill bruford wasn't on it but terry basio was Terry Bazio and Eddie Jobson. I believe Eddie Jobson played with Frank Zappa. So did Terry Bazio. Uh, Bill Bruford, of course, playing King Crimson with John Wetton. Da 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 da. Uh, Roxy Music. John Wetton played uh, in in Roxy Music. He played in uh, Uriah Heep for uh, an album or two, I think. But uh, I don't think he sang on those those records. John Wetton was. <laughs> In Uriah Heep with, no, not with, but John Lawton was in Uriah Heep, I think, after John Wetton was in it. And John Lawton, of course, was the singer for the Les Humphrey Singers. Everything goes back to the Les Humphrey Singers. Everything. So this is Gilbert Neal. This is D-Sides Orphans and Oddities. I'm going to play you one more thing. Uh, this is not Prague. This is my uh, one of my favorite singers, Joe Simon. And you will recognize this melody immediately because it's very familiar in the pop culture with you kids these days and the rock and roll and the hip hop and whatnot. So I'll see you next week. That you feel a little lonely too And there is someone Someone you need to forget, girl It's the same thing with me I 
been thinking Why don't we just make believe that It's not the first time we met before The night is over, the night is over. We'll be in love By the morning I'll be the only one You thinking of Closer than a finger in blood Before, Before the night is over, night is over. They say you better look like Twiggy Cause the idol now is Twiggy Around the place he's down his Twiggy's figure Twiggy's walking Twiggy's face My date looks like Twiggy Girls are imitating Twiggy She's the mini- modern things 